Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 20 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. Looking at where we are in the year, remembering that This Osteopathic Life begins on the 1st of February, so one month into the year. And actually, we come to our end of the second quarter, end of the first half of the year this week on the podcast as we look to August 1st as that half birthday of sorts. And as we're in this space, there's a lot of reflection that happens. Looking back on what we planned for that first half of the year, what came to fruition, how we are organizing ourselves going forward, what we are going to target, the structure we're going to put in place to get toward those goals that we're seeking. And today what I'm going to do is take you inside a bit of a conversation I had with my own coach this past week as we had a little time between our sessions. And so there was a recap that happened. And you'll notice that's emerging right now. A lot of these re-words, reflect and recap. And in that coaching session, a number of R words came through and actually RE words, all these re-words came out in our conversation. And what I appreciate is that she notices just as I noticed these alliterative opportunities. And ultimately, there was a cluster of 11 of them, some in partnership, others independent. And we're going to walk through those different R words here today, and we'll see what synergistic effect, what outcome might emerge. As I was going through this retelling of my past few weeks, even looking back at that first quarter of the year into the first half of the year into what happened in July, which in our calendar year, you know, is that first moment of stepping into the second half of the year and just seeing what has happened. Where did you expect to be? Where are you? Where's the gap? Where might you be ahead? And how are you preparing yourself for this next session? And one word that came through was reservation. And it's interesting because there's been a lot of energy eagerness and forward motion, but also in that space, there have been moments of reservation of second guessing oneself and not knowing exactly where I'm headed. Now coming to terms, making peace with not knowing exactly where you're headed, but seeing that you can set the trajectory and take the next step there is something to practice. If I look at reservation and the different options for what that could mean, what I notice is it can be right, a limiting condition where, where it is undermined by doubt, right? We have reservations about doing that. I would do this, but I have a reservation. There is the act of reserving, right? having a reservation so that you secure your space in a certain place. Of course, we think about restaurants or perhaps an activity I shared with you the stress that came through reserving a space in the upcoming Girls Want to Have Fun weekend with Brandy Carlisle, which will take place on the anniversary of this osteopathic life, as well as my birthday in 2022. 
And making that reservation had both parts. I was making the space, right, claiming my spot, and had some reservations about it for the time investment, for the financial investment, and then had some limitations just for the act of doing it. And we can also think about reservation as sacred space, a place that is reserved, preserved, designated for certain people. So while I began with having that sense of reservation in a limitation or a hesitancy toward doing something, what I also recognize that it's an opportunity to save that space, to decide ahead of time what I would like to do and claim it, claim that. And making some of those reservations doesn't require anyone else's activity, permission. It's simply me saying, I claim this space. I claim this space of writing. I claim this space of coaching. I claim this space of playing or composing music. I claim this space of time for myself. And we had that opportunity. So how might we shift the way that we're using and might have been limited by reservation and how can it begin to serve us? And automatically that partnered with the next concept, the next word of reframing, right? So just now we reframed the definition, our relationship with reservation, And reframing is just simply looking at something in a different way. And we use this a lot in coaching when we say, well, here's our typical response. And we'll see response come up a little bit again in a future point in this podcast. But we can decide. We don't have to have an automatic response. We don't have to have a default response. We don't have to have a response that we don't like or want. We can reframe our engagement in any situation. We can reframe and put new structure around. We can go back to that and think about reframing in construction, right? That we can reframe a house. Perhaps it didn't have a solid foundation. It didn't have level floors or even doorways. And that reframing puts optimal structure there so that the function of the house is improved. We can reinforce in that way. And so what might you have the opportunity to reframe in this current moment as you're looking at July coming to its close. And I want to take a moment here and note that there has been some lamenting that we are near the end of summer. Somehow, you know, the days are shortening, which is true. Our sunset times continue to get a little bit earlier every couple days. And at the same time, we're not even really halfway through if we look at the calendar of summer. And we get to conceptualize, we get to reframe how we engage with summer. So rather than seeing all the days of summer that have gone and noticing that perhaps we're at the peak moment of summer, really, we have almost eight weeks on the calendar and we can decide how we feel about summer. We can reframe our engagement with that. Next up was relief. And relief has many different definitions and some that come up, relief, right? That ease, that awe, that sigh. I like, oh, okay, it's not as bad as I thought it might have been. And just seeing how relief can be available to us. As always, when looking at the definitions, it's fascinating to see what comes up there. So removal or lightening of something oppressive, painful, or distressing, right? That's where that lightning, that L-I-G-H-T-E-N-I-N-G, not lightning with the thunderstorms, which we've had a little bit of recently here in Northwest Michigan. But that ease, that sigh, that release that can come. 
It also can talk about the sharpness of an outline due to contrast. And I love this concept and I think about it in photography or with painting. And the example statement is a roof in bold relief against the sky. And thinking about that recently, we've had some beautiful sunsets, some of it influenced by the haze from the smoke from the wildfires out west. So there's beauty, right? even in the most unfortunate of circumstances. We've also seen the contrast of colors of the trees against the sky, the beautiful blues in the lake and the contrast of the creatures that are flying by or the trees that are on the horizon. And seeing that relief is this contrast. And I think about relief in that sense we have of that lightening of the load and it often comes because there is a shift in the perspective. And of course, all of these beginning with the RE makes sense that we're seeing this change in how it can be in that space. But thinking about relief as that contrast, because many times when we're feeling inundated and overwhelmed and frustrated, it's because it seems that it is the way it is and there is no other way. There's no other possibility. We are inundated. We are drowning. We are just covered with all the responsibility. We seem like we're in this rote and remote place all alone with these menial tasks of adulthood and life and responsibilities and financial burdens and time burdens. And just having that sharp contrast of something else. It might not even be the ideal outcome or answer that we're seeking, but just sometimes seeing a different perspective, having a slight contrast made available to us can give us the space to begin to think, oh, it can be another way. This isn't all there is. There's more to the story. And so shifting that engagement with relief, and I'm not letting go of the ah version of relief. That one is so helpful and one I welcome. But thinking of relief in that visual way of the sharp contrast allows me to see the power in gaining a new perspective in a situation to bring that ah relief into the space. From there, we moved toward restructure. We talked about that a bit. We saw it in the reframing, literally putting new structure in that space. But thinking about the opportunity to change the makeup, organization, or pattern of something. And just like we saw with relief, right? Just getting that little bit of an opportunity to shape it. And my sister has a beautiful business called Be Kind Redesign. And just taking what is and moving it about, right? Changing it in relation to one another, changing where it sits, putting some things away, bringing some things out. Just that little shift, right? Can be so powerful in the change in the space and then the energy that comes with it. If you think about those simple times, and often it brings to mind the holidays for me, when we would rearrange the furniture in order to accommodate the Christmas tree that was going up. And then often we would leave the furniture in that new configuration when the tree came down because it felt good. Some of it because it brought over that holiday enjoyment, but also it was just nice to have a different way of associating with the space, of orienting to the room around us. And so where might you be able to restructure and thinking about restructure on the micro and the macro level, right? Internally, how are you restructuring? There was a recent article about the effect of weight training on fat cells. And historically, we always said you can't turn fat into muscle. And new research is showing that there can be significant physiologic cellular level impact of weight training that sends new messaging, shifts the contents of the fat cells, and begins to change the nature of the tissue, if there's opportunity to restructure internally, 
We can certainly restructure internally with our thoughts. We talk about that a lot in coaching and on the podcast here. What is that inner daily dialogue and how might you change the makeup, the organization or the pattern of your thinking and what would the impact be of that? There's restructuring of the world around you. In that space, looking around in our house right now, it's been moderately, we'll say chaotic. We've had a lot of guests and that's a welcome chaos. But looking and seeing where could there be some streamlining, some restructuring of the external space that might clear up our feelings and our capacity to engage and be more effective in this space or more comfortable. So bringing that through and seeing what restructure can offer for you. Now, the next one that came up was one that was always fascinating to me during my time living in England. Now, when we talk about studying, we would say studying, we would perhaps say review, but the English word was revise. I'm going to revise when preparing for this. And that comes up as a definition, British, to study again, right? Versus the review that we might say in the United States for our act of studying. Revising, we do think about when we go over something again to correct or improve it. And so where's there room to revise and when should we leave well enough alone? As I shared with you last week on the episode, the review of my injury list and the impact and the way it did shift the trajectory and how there's room to embrace it just as it is because it is what it is. And here I am because of the sum total of all those different impacts in my life. And at the same time, noting that this most recent injury did come from an active revising mid-movement when very likely how I was holding that bar, how I was moving was actually very much good enough. Right? It had worked for me for many years, and it's that balance because we are always fine-tuning. In athletics, there's always room right, to improve form, and there are the times when it's appropriate to really dig in and get into that, and there are times when it's okay to leave well enough alone and say, well, this is working, and this is appropriate for this time and this purpose, and that sometimes right, the enemy of good is better. We talked about that a lot in my training, in residency training, that often the patient would be doing well, there would be an improvement, and we would say, oh, but if just this one little bit could be better, right, then we would be at that ideal place. And more often than not, that attempt toward better could derail the original treatment because it was too much. And so it's learning to listen to when enough has been reached, when we're at a good space, when revising isn't necessary, and then finding when it is. And that is a trial and error process. It is a process of maturation, of experience. Sometimes, of luck, we get the information afterward. And recognizing that we can over-revise, we can under-revise. And so finding that sweet spot, that Goldilocks moment of engaging revision. As we move through that, what comes up as an opportunity is this idea of re-establishing. And you might think, well, what about just establishing? But as we're noticing, this is a moving process. So all of these re-words, what it indicates is that you're already somewhere. You're already on the go. You're doing things. And along the way, in an active state, you can engage these. Reservation, reframe, relief, restructure, revise. And re-establish is where we go. Because you have, you are established. You are established in your role, in your space, in your identity, 
and there's room for fluidity within that. And so what if you can simply begin to reestablish those values? And I think about that also as the opportunity to continue to choose actively what it is you're doing, thinking, believing, feeling, how you're engaging with the world around you. And this reminds us that it's not a stagnant, it's not a fixed, right? it's not a permanent space. When we do determine our key and core values, we are not stuck there forever. And also, we are not guaranteed to stay there forever. It is something that requires us, there's a read that wasn't on the list, but we'll offer it in. It requires us to recommit to those values and redecide and redetermine that they are the ones we want to keep. And so we're always in this act of reestablishing. And if we can do that with a little bit more attention and awareness, right, we can come to a space where we are more actively engaged. There's less frustration or apathy or lament about what it is we're doing because we're saying each and every time, oh, I'm reestablishing this, right? I am actively choosing this again for myself or I'm actively not choosing it, right? I'm drawing this new boundary and I'm saying this is no longer functional for me. And that is okay too. Now, the next R word we've talked about multiple times in the podcast, and it has all different connotations, certainly, particularly in the practice of medicine when we're looking at how we are expecting physicians to behave and where we are placing the autonomy for the prevention and treatment of burnout in the practice of medicine. So I want to share this from a perspective that has resonated with me. Oh, and that I can't believe didn't make the list, but maybe because resonance should always be its own episode. But resilient is the word about which we are speaking. And I'll read the basic definitions and we'll talk about what we think and feel about them and perhaps some opportunities to reframe them, to make sense for us and to feel functional and positive and supportive as we go forward, bringing them out into the world in our way of being and how we support each other. So characterized or marked by resilience, such as capable of withstanding shock without permanent deformation or rupture, tending to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. And looking at that, you can see where sometimes it can be felt as problematic that we are putting all the responsibility on the individual. So the system can do whatever, as long as you can just bounce back from it. And we get that plasticity model, that elasticity part of it is a visual that comes through. But looking at right, what are some opportunities here we have to embrace resilience, not from a shame or blame or not from a holding the institutions and systems accountable. We're not avoiding doing that. But at the same time, how do we manage ourselves from within that? In this one here, capable of withstanding shock without permanent deformation or rupture. And again, we can look at that from the internal. How can the person be more resilient? And how can those outside forces match the resilience that's available? And I think that's a key space as we're looking at systemic reform, as we're looking at institutional programming through Coaching for Institutions, where we go in and we support the individuals to see what is the level of resilience and how can we bolster that. And we address the institutions and the leaders saying, well, here is an appropriate expectation of what resilience can be. And here are the spaces we need to make adjustments because what load is being placed is not appropriate. There's no chance that permanent deformation or rupture isn't going to happen. So we need to make those shifts. And it's a both and space. We can all certainly look at our means and methods of resilience and also respect that there is a spectrum. 
There is a range of capacity in this space. And because someone might have a different level of resilience, I won't say better, worse, more or less, but simply different than ours. It's not a problem. It's not a failure. It's not right or wrong. We all have many different variables that come into play and provide that capacity to withstand shock, right? In some, it might be a very small margin. For some, it might be a very small amount of force. And that is okay. It's important to notice and to hold accountable the environment around us, create some external boundaries in a way that gives us space. And at the same time, if we should choose and we have the capacity, we have the reserve to go there, begin to see how we can increase our level of resilience. Not because the world should just continue to throw everything at us, but it gives us simply a wider margin. And when I think about a resilient response, looking at what response means, right? Just a reaction. It is a reply. It might be verbal. It might be visual. We can think about facial expressions and responses, particularly as we're coming out of masks now, perhaps temporarily. We'll see what all transpires there. But noticing what our default reaction, reply, engagement back to someone is. And what is a resilient response? And automatically, what came up for me, because I spent a lot of time in training and around the barbell and with physical movement, I moved toward receiving the bar, right? And receiving became on the list of the R words, right? To come into possession of, to act as a receptacle or container for, to assimilate through the mind or senses, to permit to enter, so interesting there, to react to in a specified manner, to accept as authoritative, true, or accurate, to support the weight or pressure of, right? and this is the one I used as an example, and to take from the weight of something, to acquire or experience, to suffer the hurt or injury of, right? So you can receive a broken leg, a broken nose. So looking at all of those, what came up for me when I was talking with a group of physicians about practicing resilience, I used the example of when we do receive the bar. So when we are doing an Olympic lift, right, we'll receive the bar and we receive it with some cushioning, right? So if you just stand and let's say you pick the bar up and you cleaned it, which means you're bringing it up to a front rack position, resting on your shoulders, your elbows are up and under the bar, and it's just under your chin. When we do that to straight legs, you can take all of that force in, right? It strikes you, it feels heavy, it can feel stunting, but if you receive that bar and you re-dip or come under it, cushion that bar down, right? You squat under the bar, you move with the direction of the weight coming down on you, it can feel much less uh, aggressive, right? It might feel lighter even, you're cushioning the load, you're cushioning the force that you're receiving. And the same thing when we might be receiving a ball being thrown to us, right? So if we kind of lean back with it, right? And we go with the force that is being thrown at us with that ball, it cushions the blow versus meeting it directly or even pushing against it, right? Where we're adding to the force that we then feel. And in general, thinking about that and the way we react in any situation, right? Are we receiving words in interactions with others with a closed mindset, with a very fixed opinion, with an expectation of how it is going to be, or with a preconceived notion with how this person always is? And so this is what's going to show up this time. And imagining that as just receiving that bar straight legged, you know, full force, and even maybe pushing up against it a little bit. We are rigid in that res response. 
and that's a lot of force. And it's hard to see anything different, hear anything different. And then we can imagine the way we're going to then speak back right? offer what we have to say is going to come from that same type of energy versus if we have a resilient response and we receive the bar, right, where we cushion the blow, we move with the weight that is coming down on us, then we might listen with a more open mind with a wider potential what this person might have to say. And we might hear what they have to say, the same words with a different tone. And we might wipe away some of those preconceived notions, how they might act. And it can soften the blow. If it is a person with whom we often disagree or have challenging interactions, if we can ease into that relationship, into that engagement in a new way, right? we can cushion the blow and we actually can build strength in that way. And it gives us a chance to decide. We get to reframe what our response is going to be. Now, I want to take one more moment with resilient because it is one that comes up so frequently. It has a lot of opportunity, but can also have a lot of challenge because we might shut down when we hear that because we say, I'm tired right, of accommodating the system. I don't want to cushion the blow of an inappropriate and unhealthy and inhumane system. Yes, and. Right? We want to keep changing through policy, through conversation, through dialogue, whatever it might be, how the system is engaging and support ourselves in that process because it is a process and it isn't instantaneous to my knowledge and awareness of how it could be. Now, maybe that's possible. Maybe there's room to make it more efficient and effective. But at present, where we are now, looking at how we can recover from misfortune or change. And that doesn't mean don't process and don't recognize when there has been an injury and an insult and physical or emotional trauma. Absolutely, that needs to be acknowledged and tended to. And also, see the ways in which you can support yourself in moving through, not beyond, not forward from, but through in an effective way. And see what resources, that's another RE that I don't have on the list, but see what resources you might need and how you can bring them forward. So the second to last one, the penultimate one here, is revolution. And this one comes up because within this osteopathic life, that is part of the mission, right? A revolution grounded in love and humanity and how we're bringing that forward. So we've talked about it a number of times, but as I pulled it back forward again, right, these two come up for me. And one, perhaps give us an opportunity, as we just saw when talking about resilience, that maybe it doesn't have to take as long as it might seem. Because revolution can be a sudden, radical, or complete change. And so what if that is possible? What if we can just shift the system like that? Snap of the fingers. And I'm looking at some of the work of my colleagues in the practice of medicine, in academia, in their own clinical work, in their professional work, in parallel to clinical practices. And I see some marked change happening. And why not? Right? We saw the sudden halt that happened in the time of COVID. We talked about the grand pause last year, and we have the opportunity to decide when we pick up how different it might look. And we can do that in the moment. And so perhaps while the system can be slow to change, maybe it doesn't need to. And maybe we can be part of sudden, radical, and complete, effective, sustainable change. Let's see if we can put those together in that framing. And revolution also as the completion of a course. 
And as we began this episode looking at the completion of the first quarter and the first half of the year in the first half of this osteopathic life's year and seeing where we are when we have completed a revolution of our choosing, of our decided measurement. And then finally, one of the re-words that came up near the end of my conversation with my coach was remembering. And this discussion of remembering as often related to as a past experience, remembering going back to, thinking about this past time, past places, past people, and instead making it an act of practice. Now, some of my very brief research looked at re-membering in the roles of a narrative therapist and bringing together the membership of your life, the people who are the players in the story of your life. And I find that very interesting and it can be a space to continue to explore what I heard through remembering. And I would love for those of you listening who are more familiar with this to bring forward your experience, knowledge and awareness of it and teach me. I will continue to learn how to engage with this concept. But what resonated for me with the act of remembering was the process of bringing people, places, things, activities, goals back into membership in one's life and seeing what that opportunity might be and how it might look to re-invite a person. And that might be directly, that might be someone who has died and you are remembering them into their relationship in your life in a new way. You might actually reach out, maybe it's someone from whom you are estranged and you want to make a direct real time connection. Or perhaps there's someone from whom you are estranged and you simply want to energetically, right, universally send out this remembering of them into your life in a different way. Perhaps it's not a direct regular relationship, but it might be a way in which you can engage through the energies of the universe. It might be remembering a piece of yourself, granting membership to yourself of something that you have put to rest or paused or thought was no longer possible or available for you. And so what might you remember for yourself in this time? And so as we look through, we'll see how these R's and perhaps other R words because we noticed those that popped up, resonance being one of them that really speaks to me. How can you put these together in this next week as you're looking toward the second half of the year, as you're reflecting on how July went relative to what it is you were anticipating for this month and just offer up some reflections and see what reservations you might have and what reservations you can make, how you might reframe and bolster that structure, how relief is available to you when you are able to put in those lines of contrast and welcome the ah components, what you might restructure and what materials you may need to do that, what the act of revision can be and where it's perhaps time to no longer revise and to let it be. See how you can reestablish and allow that to be an active space of choosing and reinforcing the principles and beliefs and core values that you hold, or perhaps fine-tuning them or modifying them or adopting new ones completely. What might you be able to do in creating a resilient response? And where can you hold the system accountable and build up those skills and capacities internally in yourself? How are you receiving the bar and how might you cushion the blow in order to lessen the force that's being brought down upon you? Where are you contributing to and where might you seek revolution? And what act of remembering can you take on today? 
So those are the rewords with big thanks and shout out to my coach for noticing the alliteration as it emerged organically and celebrating the opportunity to see what meaning we can create in so many spaces. This is Dr. Millie Beaky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening. <laughs>